0: morning. If we haven't met yet, my name's Mark, and it's my pleasure and honor to be able to bring God's Word to us. I look forward to uh, meeting, if you're here as a guest, or you're here and we haven't met, look forward to meeting you at some point, I hope soon. I do want to have a special shout out as the vaccine is doing its thing. People are coming back and Lee and Terry Roush are here, over here. And Lee and Terry, we just want to say welcome back. We love you. We've missed you. And it's so good to see you in person. I am humbled to be able to preach this message. I honestly can tell you this morning, there is no person on the planet at this moment that has a better assignment than I do. So Mullery, don't mess it up, right? So Ephesians 1, 3 through 10, please get your eyes on those words in God's Word. And Allie Cooper is going to come and read the passage for us.
1: Blessed be God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, That we should be holy and blameless before him in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through jesus christ according to the purpose of his will to do the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth.
0: Thanks, Allie. Let's pray. God, we just quiet our hearts right now and ask you for one thing. Dazzle us with your glory. Thrill our hearts and our souls with the redemption we've received in Christ, with the lavishing of your grace upon us, and empower us by your Spirit to live to the praise of your glorious grace. As a united congregation and as your followers as we go into the world, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. So, Justin explained why this series, I want to, narrow it down and just ask, why this message? Why start this series here? Why preach this message as the first message of our new United Church? And the answer is because it starts in the right place. It starts where the Bible starts. The Bible starts with these words, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. The universe starts with God. Every life starts with God. Our new church starts with God. And so we begin our series with a message focused on our great and saving and faithful God. We've picked this letter, as Justin was explaining, because it's wonderfully Christ-centered and church-centered. And the letter begins in this place with a waterfall of worship. Look and see our faithful God and then praise him for it. That's the idea of what's going on here. Now, in the original language, verses 3 through 14 are one long run-on sentence. There's no break in the original sentence. In your English Bibles, you'll see commas and periods and transitions, but... When Paul got going writing this originally, he got going praising God, and he just couldn't stop. So he kept going and going and going. And verse 3 is the headline over all that follows. Look, look there again with me, please. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Blessed, blessed, blessing. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So he's saying, blessed be God the Father. What does that mean? It means God is worthy of praise. He's worthy of honor. Why? Because he's blessed us through his son, Jesus Christ, and given us blessings that are spiritual and blessings that come about by the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. What are these blessings? What are these blessings that cascade from our great triune God? Well, he starts in the past, he moves to the present, and he ends with the future. So we're going to just take that orientation through this passage this morning. In this passage, going through this passage in a half an hour is like going through a museum like the Louvre in a half an hour. You're going to get a quick tour. I hope you'll come back and spend more time on your own later. Walking through here is just an orientation, and I hope the the effect of it will be that, that it will... Result in praise arising in our hearts so we can praise God from whom all blessings flow. Because that's what this passage should do inside of us. Praise God from whom all these blessings flow. So, first, let's praise him for past blessings. Look at verse 4, please. Even as he, God, chose us in him, Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption. Can you see what God has done? What did he do in the past? What's already happened? Well, he chose us in Christ. He predestined us for adoption. So, brothers and sisters, the first thing we must know about the Christian life is this. It starts with God. He's the initiator. He's always been the initiator. Abraham, the father of the faith, Abraham and his family were serving other gods, but God took him for his own. We see that in Joshua 24. God is always doing these choosings. He chose Isaac and not Ishmael, Jacob and not Esau, Joseph, not his brothers, the Levites to be priests and not the other tribes. God chose Israel from among the nations of the world. Listen to the words God says about Israel in Deuteronomy 32.10. God found Israel in a desert land. And in the howling waste of the wilderness, he encircled him and cared for him and kept him as the apple of his eye. God found him. God is the initiator. God is the one who is the first mover in these things. This is the doctrine of election, and it's everywhere in your Bible. And God chose, if you're in Christ today, that started not with you, but with him. He chose you, when? When were Christians like you and me chosen. He chose us before the foundation of the world. That means he chose you before you were born. That means he chose you before your parents met. That means he chose you before Genesis 1:1 had even happened. Before the world was created, God selected people from out of a human race that he knew would be in rebellion against him. and these people He redeems and brings into his family. He this he did before you'd done anything. And not because you were going to be especially holy. No, the storyline is quite the opposite. He chose you out of a human race that was in rebellion against him so that you could become holy and blameless before him, living in his presence as his people. Is this surprising to you? It's actually shocking. It's stunning you might think, well, but I did choose God, didn't I? And yes, you did. Repentance and faith are required to receive the gift of salvation. But he chose you before you chose him. There was something going on that you didn't know about before that choice. And I'll be honest, when I first encountered the truths in this passage, I didn't like them. I found them offensive. It didn't seem fair. And then I realized they're not fair. Fair would be people like me and all others receiving judgment, condemnation. This isn't fair. This is grace, amazing grace, lavish grace, glorious grace. I can't come to this passage without reading this quote from Charles Spurgeon, British pastor from the 1800s. I love this quote. It helps me get my head around this passage. He says, I believe the doctrine of election because I am quite sure that if God had not chosen me, I should never have chosen him. And I'm sure he chose me before I was born, or else he would never have chosen me afterwards. And he must have elected me for reasons unknown to me, for I could never find any reason in myself why he should have looked upon me with special love. There's a man who understands his condition before God apart from grace. Praise God for the blessing of past grace and the blessing of election in Christ. How about present? What are the present blessings that we have? Look at verse 5 again, please. In love he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has ble- with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we, see the next word? It's an important word. In him we, what's it say? In him we have, see that present tense? In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. What what are the blessings that we have currently right here in this passage? What is the Holy Spirit showing us about the work of God in salvation? We have the blessings of adoption and redemption and forgiveness. They come together in a package. This helps us understand what it means to be a Christian. Maybe you're new to church, or maybe you're wanting to know more about Christianity and who this Jesus is. What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, here's a definition from this passage. To be a Christian is to know God as your Father through adoption in Jesus Christ. Adoption is the essence of what it means to be a Christian. See, we were not always God's children. Once we were children of wrath, we see in chapter 2. We were outsiders. We were far off. We were people who were constantly trespassing in God's world. We were defying God's authority. We were making a mess of his garden. But God had promised to have a people for the apple of his eye. Back there in Deuteronomy 32.10, And even when people are unfaithful, God is faithful to keep his promises. And so he sends his son, Jesus, to secure his people's adoption eternally. Through the son, we become adopted children. How? How does that happen? It happens through redemption by his blood. Did you see that phrase? We have redemption through his blood. In other words, Jesus paid the ransom price to secure our freedom, to deliver us from slavery to sin and death, and to make forgiveness for our trespasses possible. The price that he paid was his life in place of ours. God's son died on a cross so that we could be adopted as sons and daughters into his family. Adoption, brothers and sisters, is the greatest blessing of the gospel. The greatest blessing of the gospel. J.I. Packer writes in his book, Knowing God, these words, to be right with God the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is a greater. Isn't that wonderful? To be right with God the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is a greater. Knowing that God has adopted us into his family and will care for us as his father is a great comfort for the believer. And I am quite certain in this group that's gathered here this morning, there are some that have come in need of that comfort. There's a lot of joy going on here, but some have arrived with downcast souls. Some of you may feel a little bit outsiders to that joy. I was thinking about this time when I was was a little guy, and I had two little sisters, and we went to a restaurant. My mom and dad (laughs) took us out. We went to this restaurant. And as we were leaving, my dad put my littlest sister, Jen, on the counter. She was real small at the time. And he's busy paying the bill. And you know what that's like when there's people milling around and there's stuff going on at the restaurant and you got these little kids. And so we we packed up and marched off. And at some point we realized there were only four of us instead of five. Jen was still sitting there on the counter. She got left behind. And I, I don't know, I wonder if... If anybody here this morning, you might feel maybe a little bit like Jen sitting there on the counter. Maybe there's things going on in your life and you're doubting the faithfulness of God. Where is this great and saving God? Maybe you're not so excited about the uniting of these two churches. Maybe you've got questions or, or feel a sense of loss or uncertainty even looking forward. Maybe you're watching from home and you really wish you could be here and you feel like you're, you're missing out. This morning, maybe you just have a a general sense that God is distant from you. Well, you know, as we as we left that restaurant, we didn't get very far before we realized, whoa, no Jen. And my dad, he made a beeline back to that restaurant. And there she was sitting on the counter, smiling, wiggling her feet because she knew her dad would never leave her. Would he? Your heavenly father is so much better than any earthly father ever has been or ever will be. He's the father you need. He's the father who will never abandon you, has not forgotten you, and will not leave you behind. Romans 8.32 reminds us that if God our Father has already given His Son for us, won't He now graciously give us all things? Oh, adoption is a great comfort wherever we find ourselves in the Christian life. And one, cast a vision forward now as we close the passage, we look to future blessings. Look at verse 9. He's making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, To unite all things in him, in Christ, things in heaven, and things on earth. Okay, so here's a question. What is God's big plan? Like the big plan. What is God up to in the universe? What is God up to in history? How do you see God's big plan being worked out today? The Holy Spirit tells us in this passage that this is a mystery that has been made known. This isn't the kind of mystery like a Sherlock Holmes story where a a good mind and a sharp eye can take all the clues and figure it out. This is a mystery that remains out of sight to all of humanity until God makes it known. No scientist will figure this out. No philosopher or religious person will ever figure this out. It will not be known until God reveals it. And what God is revealing here is so important to us. He's telling us here that history is not random. It's not circular, like a hamster spinning on a wheel. History has a goal and a conclusion. There is a plan, and the plan was set in place by our great God, who is the ultimate planner. And what is the plan? What is the plan that our God, who is in the heavens, will surely accomplish because he always accomplishes what he sets out to do. What is the plan? Well, look back at the passage. Look at verse 9. There are two vital things to see here. First, this plan is set forth in Christ. What does that mean? You, maybe you've been in class. Maybe you just had your finals and you had a, a presentation to make. So you were doing all this work and then you presented your final project. You set it forth or maybe you like to cook and you are working hard in the kitchen and then when the meal's ready you bring it out and you present it to whoever's having the dinner that's what we're being told here is that God presents his plan in Christ in other words this is so important Jesus the Messiah is the center of God's plan if you want to know what God is up to in the world you start with Jesus not ancient Rome not ancient Egypt, not Alexander the Great, not Henry VIII, not the gods you find inhabiting various temples around the world, not whoever's trending on Twitter today. Jesus Christ is the center of God's plan. God is setting forth his plan to you here today. God is making his plan. This redemption is, in Christ is being proclaimed by the Holy Spirit, through me and through our songs to you. So I just want to ask you this morning, have you responded to this plan? Because faith and repentance are required to receive this wonderful gift of redemption and adoption into God's family. To become His adopted child, you must turn to Him for forgiveness in Christ. Christ is the centerpiece of this plan. It's being set forth in Him and this plan, look back with me at verse 10. It's a plan for the fullness of time. This is where things are going. And it's a plan to unite all things in Christ. Things in heaven and things on earth. That should be good news to us, shouldn't it? Because like, does it feel like we're in a united world right now? Like Things are pretty broken, aren't they? pretty divided. In fact, our world isn't only broken. We live in a world that's living in defiance of its maker. The universe is decidedly not living to the praise of God's glorious grace right now. But you know what? That's where it's headed. That's where it's going. At the climax of history, Jesus Christ will emerge as the ultimate head of state, as the king of kings, and he will come in person to make all things right. Evil, wars, lies, hatred, exploitation will be removed. All evildoers will be judged and removed. And Christ will set up his kingdom in a creation made new, a new paradise, a universal paradise, a paradise free from sickness and sin, free from death and division. Won't that be amazing? That's what we're waiting for. Here is a plan that begins before creation, eternity past, and stretches out to new creation. And our faithful God right now, right here, today, is fulfilling that plan. Don't be afraid of what you see going on in the world. Our God is in charge, and he is and will fulfill his plan to unite all things in Jesus Christ. Things in heaven and things on earth. And that unity, that new unified people has already begun. It's here on planet Earth right now. It's called the church. That's what makes the church so special and marvelous and wonderful and unique. In the church, the wall of hostility has already been torn down. Jews and Gentiles, men and women... Africans and Europeans and Asians and South Americans and North Americans and people from every corner of the globe are uniting under one banner to praise God for His glorious grace, to submit to Jesus Christ as our King and to be filled with His Spirit. And we get to be part of that. Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. So, what do we do with this? What? difference can this make in our lives? What difference can this make in our church? Let's come back to the question Justin gave us at the beginning. What kind of church do we hope to be? Well, let's start here. We want to be a church that lives to the praise of his glorious grace. We want to be a church that lives to the praise of his glorious grace. Amen. That's the kind of church we want to. That's where we start. We start with him. And this works out in every aspect of our lives. So let me just take you in three directions to work this out. In response to these spiritual blessings that we've received in Christ. Let us look up. Let us look in and let us look out. Let us look in three directions. Let us look up and praise God for his glorious grace. You know, one thing I love about this letter is that the guy who's writing it has been a Christian for 30 years. People who've been Christians for a long time don't have to grow complacent. This guy is not coasting to the finish line. I love his passion three decades into his walk with Christ. I want to be like this guy. And you know what? 30 years from now, think about, What, what is that? 2051. Thirty years from now, some of you might still be here if this church is still here. Lord willing. And if you are, and if this church is still here, may this church be passionate to proclaim the praises of our great and saving God. Our God is worthy of that kind of praise and that kind of living. We have so many reasons to praise him for his Glorious grace, we have past reasons, we have present reasons, we have future reasons. You know, I was thinking about Sojourn and RGC as we're coming together today. And just thinking, hey, think about our two churches. Hasn't God been faithful to our churches? Hasn't he been amazing? Nine years for Sojourn, 40 years for RGC. He's preserved us through the craziest COVID year ever. We're still here. He's preserved us through difficult and trying times. He's provided for us every single day. We have never lacked His provision. I love that we're standing here, sitting here on May 2nd, assembled here. Churches go through seasons just like the earth does and just like people. And churches go through winter seasons, don't they? And we've been through our winter seasons, these two churches. But you know what? It feels like spring. And God is good to us, and I'm just so grateful for the way He's preserved us through these years. Sojourn. One of the things as I interact with you and listen to to, to uh, members of uh, of your church, the the sweet experience of community, the commitment in membership, the love for one another, and the fulfilling of the one another's, it's a marvel and a wonder that God has has faithfully done in you. So grateful for that. Grateful to be now able to experience that with you grateful for your love for church planting your emphasis on mission the way you've looked out in these years that you've been a church even as a church plant I'm so grateful for those things God has been faithful to you and RGC relationships here aren't there some amazing evidences of God's grace there's there relationships here that now have existed for decades two three decades or more Multi-generational relationships. You know, I remember the first time I set foot in that auditorium, 1998, I remember noting a remarkable thirst for the Word of God, a humble submission to, desire for, and eagerness to apply the Word of God, and that has never changed. And I'm so grateful for the faithfulness of God that I see in these things. Hasn't God been good to us? Let us live to praise him and thank him for these things. So we look up and we say, God, thank you for how you've, how you've been. We look in, in fellowship. Christ is uniting us. The spirit of God is doing something here today that's of his initiative. He's uniting all things together in Christ. And we get to be a little tiny expression of that as a local church. We haven't reached the end when God unites all things in Christ, but that end has begun. And the church on earth is the presence of that future. And our little church here is an an outpost of that coming kingdom. So may we cooperate and sense the breath of the spirit in this. And let's unite with all our hearts. A divided universe needs a united church. A divided nation needs a united church. In a few minutes. Minutes As we sign this membership commitment, that's just an expression of our desire to say, hey, let's, let's get on God's agenda as he's uniting all things in Christ. And let's, let's make specific our commitments to be a united congregation, loving one another to the praise of God's glorious grace. Let's look up in praise to God. Let's look in in fellowship and let's look out in mission. God has made known the mystery of his plan. He set it forth in Christ. We got to hear it. We're in on the project now, and now we get to be ambassadors to in turn go and make that good news known. You know, one thing I love about this letter, the guy who's writing, you know where he is? He's in jail. He's chained up in prison. He was chained up. But was the gospel? No, it wasn't, was it? 2,000 years later, it's still rolling. The other side of the globe, it's made it here. And we now get to go and be ambassadors for this great and saving and faithful God. Let us live to the praise of his glorious grace in worship and praise to him, in fellowship with one another, and in mission to our city and to the world. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you that you are the initiating God, the saving God, the faithful God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, We pause right now to say thank you for setting forth this amazing plan of redemption in Christ. Thank you for choosing us and calling us into your family, adopting us. And thank you for the mission that you have to extend this good news and this saving work through us to our city, to the ends of the earth. I pray that you will find us faithful in living these things out to the praise of your glorious grace in response to your great faithfulness to us. Amen.